here knows Jamie. Uh, and Jamie's already coming up, and I haven't even invited him up yet. Because <laughs> Jamie always thinks he has so much to say, you know. No, it's, uh, he, we've had him out to Mission Viejo a number of times, and we always uh, have rich fellowship. So on the way over here, with, we were having coffee, and I, I asked Kathy, I said, so Kathy, what's Jamie's most endearing quality? Dangerous question to ask a wife. And, and, and Kathy took it seriously, which I'm glad. And she looked at me and she said, um, I think he's just. And then I said, that's it? You know, you know she said, no, and he's also, um, he has hope. He has hope for so many. And um, so Jamie, um, you know, he found a boy with the ball and has been involved um, in... Uh, lived in Costa Rica with Kathy for many years, uh, working um, in very difficult situations, raising up leaders to reach young people that would be unreached otherwise, and now is in San Antonio, um, doing the same thing with his team. Many of you are here uh, from San Antonio, uh, and we're so glad uh, that you're here, hmm? and Costa Rica as well. So. Jamie, why don't you come and share? It, it's all right. Yeah. Oh, to see. All right. Great. Just, just. I'm just, just. You know, when they send those two up to lift the podium, they put a little message in them, and they're whispering to me. They said 15 minutes after that. <laughs> So, thanks. Well, um, it's an honor to be here, getting used to this microphone a little bit. Um, it's, a, it's a neat year to be here, and uh, I'm excited. I get to speak a little bit, and then the plan is that then Brian's going to come up. And so I, I'm not sure I'm supposed to say this, but they kind of talked to us, and they said, we'd kind of like a good cop, bad cop dynamic today. <laughs> So I'm just going to say I'm a good cop. <laughs> but get ready for Brian. Because <laughs> he's coming. And he's coming hard. <laughs> just trying to imagine Brian as the bad cop. <laughs> I'm sure you could do anything. It'd just be, it's like one of those stories with the kids in the morning at the school. All right. Um, this has been a sobering year uh, with so many of our friends leaving us. And so... Um, this is a, a great topic, and I know that some of this topic was chosen because of what we were watching happen in, in this year with, with so, so much of what's happened with, um, with Mike leaving us and, and Frank and, and Dow all going on to bigger and better things, and then with the intensity of things like Cade and, I mean, so much of what's happening. So, um, so there's pain this year. You know, there's, uh, there's joy and, and faith and hope, but, but there is pain. And so uh, I think it, it's great. Above all, and the thing I keep uh, going through with, with Dow not being here this year is that intense joy, and yet there's the pain of, of your friends not right next to you. And um, so I, I was thinking about this, and if you've been around me at all, you've heard this story uh, a lot of times, but that the first year that we got to go to... Um, 
to Robert and Sue's house for their team meetings, we showed up and, and we, didn't, we didn't really know many people very well, and we walked into the living room and we weren't sure we were going to fit in very well. And we sat down on the couch and Brian was there. We first talked to Brian, but then Brian got up and went to get dinner and left us in the living room with just Leroy. Uh, and Leroy was seated right across from us in the living room right next to the piano in, in y'all's old living room now. And, um, and he looked over at us, us trying to fit in and, and find our place. And um, he said, um, you know the problem with your generation? <laughs> yeah, and I, I was just pretty excited that he had narrowed it down to one thing. Cause <laughs> he, are you sure you're talking about my generation? Cause we have a laundry list, but he said, um, the moment it hurts, they run. And, you know, Leroy has those great pithy statements. And, and the truth is, is that he's very much right. Um, the only thing that I'm just going to go ahead and say is, you know, it's not necessarily just true about my generation. <laughs> um, it's those next guys, too. No, um, it's, it's true about us as, as fallen man. Uh, it, it's true about us. We, you know, if, if you put a, a big piece of liver and a piece of mango in front of me, guess which one I'm going to choose? Now, you may like liver, but I don't. Um, so, so there is this thing about us. We humans, we don't like pain um, since the fall. We don't like loss. We are not extremely excited about uncertainty and risk. Um, we like attractive things. Uh, we prefer strength to weakness. We prefer what feels good to what feels bad. And uh, that's just the way we kind of are. A few years ago, I was speaking at a camp. I used to get to do um, camps before um, the Lord moved us on from that with the help of some brothers. Uh, and in doing the camps, um, we started one, one night with all these young people. And there's a huge group from Houston which were really, really uh, motion, emotional and like excited and kind of doing like, they would crowd together and act like, do little Jesus cheers and stuff like that. But it was, it was like young people for Jesus on steroids at this camp. And so I, I didn't know what to make of it. You hadn't really gotten to know the kids yet to figure out whether it was real or, or just emotion. So I got up and I told this story about, um, and I, I forget, I, I was looking for the story so I could tell it right this year because I'm pretty sure that I've added a whole lot to it. But the story is that, um, this is probably right in the time of the Reformation, there was a group. Uh, that was going to be um, burned at the stake. And it was, a, it was really a congregation. The whole congregation was going to be burned. And so the next morning, they're going to be burned. First was going to be the pastor and then, then every other one of them. And so as they grouped together and they prayed and, and they cried the night before, they said to him, you know, we've all heard that there's a supernatural grace that comes in the midst of martyrdom and that, that a grace will happen in the midst of it that will carry us on. And, and he said, I'm sure that's true, <laughs> to comfort them. And then they said, well, as you're going first and, and in the midst of the flames, if it's true, will you just raise your hand in the midst of the flames? And it'll give us courage to all go in, you know. So, you know, and I've, I've never been burned at the stake. Maybe some of you have. But um, <laughs> they, they put those little bits of explosives in there to kind of make it go justly a little faster. And so... So they put him in there, and all of a sudden there's the, the smoke, and the flames are rising up and everything, and you couldn't see him. And you know, and I can just imagine they're all kind of huddling together and, and kind of whimpering, and, and nothing, just forever nothing. And so they're all, their, their hands are, you know, their heads are going down, and 
they're starting to realize who's up next and stuff. And then all of a sudden, in the midst of the smoke, you just see this hand rising, you know. Well, this story got the Houston boys going crazy at the camp. They were like, ah, you know, we'd die for him. We're ready. We'd die for him. And, um, and so then I said, um, you know, in typical youth pastor fashion, how many of you are willing to suffer for Jesus? And I mean, these guys, you couldn't keep them seated. They were just, uh, their chairs were, uh, were props behind them. They were ready to stand the rest of the meeting. And then I said, okay, well, let's just test a little bit, could we? And uh, I think they were thinking we were going <laughs> to try some of that. <laughs> Which we did have release forms on all of the kids. So, but, um, so I said, well, how many of you leave a camp like this and you say, I'm going to have a quiet time every day? And they said, oh, yeah, of course. And I said, well, when it's 5.45 and your alarm goes off, how many of you hit it? And how many of you endure the pain and get up? And every hand goes down. And, well, geez, man, you didn't have to get like that. Like, uh. So I just want to talk about something that could be abrasive. There's three possibilities of what's about to happen in the next 15 or 20 minutes. One is that I'm going to do really well, by God's grace. And this is going to be a good message. And, and the Lord's going to help us. The other is that I could be extremely offensive and sever relationships. And so... Like to avoid that. The third is that you'll all just look at me at the end thinking, what were you trying to say? So, so I told Kathy, it's kind of bad when two out of the three options aren't good. So, so let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for who you are. We thank you um, for your example of, of uh, enduring the cross, scorning its shame, and, um, and above all things, following Father in, in perfect obedience. And... Uh, not so certain that you ever got to answer the question of whether it was going to feel good, but you, you did good. Oh, so good. So good that, that we're here and that we have life. So we just pray, Father, that your presence would be here, that your Holy Spirit would be here, and that you'd speak to us. We're, we're so used to the, the, the beauty of being together and the fun and the humor within our culture. Would you help us to transcend culture now? And would you speak to us? We're a group of people who have been... Uh, exposed to you speaking in a way that's revelatory. And we need that. This isn't a time for us to have a feel-good message or it's not even a time for us where just a quick pick-me-up is going to help. Eternal things are happening. Uh, Our friends are going on to be with you. There's a next generation that's rising up. There's a battle going on for each of our countries, for all of those who are here. And this is a time where more than ever before we need your revelation. So, Father, come and speak in Jesus' name. Amen. So here's, here's the thing. Is, is it possible there's been a little bit of a bait and switch that's gone on? Here's the question, and I may be wrong, and I'm, I'm open to some dialogue, but is it possible that we got lost? Just a bit. Just a bit. I, every one of us know Jesus. We're definitely all going to heaven, I think. And, uh, I mean, I don't know everybody in the room, but... Uh, so. <laughs> Afterwards, come meet with me. I'll let you know. No, I'm just kidding. No, but um, we're not talking about that. But is it possible that, um, that, that in the midst of the fight, we've lost some of the focus and the perspective? And, and the reason I would say it is a few things. Um, for many of you who've been in the room, if you've been walking in, in these circles for more than 20 years, raise your hand. If, you, if you've been, all right, that's a, that's a strong group of people. And, and so your journey has been one of, of meeting people 
that the Holy Spirit was showing up in the midst of them and you were joined to them and it involved a pretty dramatic level of sacrifice, uh, sacrifice with your family. They didn't understand what was happening. Uh, sacrifice where certain family members were thinking, what are you doing? Um, there was an element of, of leaving behind things and even turning away from future possibilities. I think of the group in uh, Boston that many of you could have gone all across the country to exciting possibilities, but, but you stayed and stayed together. There was sacrifice, there was um, some significant pain, there were conflicts between many of you, you we won't revisit, but um, there, were, there were moments that, that really hurt really bad, and, and something happened. And, and part of it was a commitment not just to really cool meetings and beautiful air-conditioned buildings, but to a lifestyle of being together, of following him together. And it messed with everything. It, it took you in a way that was not only countercultural, but that was um, risky and, um, and messy and um, probably not exactly what Hollywood would have scripted. But then there was power. There were just moments where it was more than worth it, where things, relationships were born that were just different than any relationships anybody else had. And so, so that was your experience. And that was a really great experience, and I showed up late for it. Uh, Stephen Simpson says, I'm kind of like the guy who showed up at the Twin Towers on 911 and was headed up the elevator. Like, um, I met Jesus around 1988, so that was two years after 86. And, um, but I came into a group that, that there was depth, and, um, and it was pretty amazing. And, um, and so then, over the next few years, uh, the 80s happened, and, you know, the 90s happened, and some of the focuses began to be being a seeker-sensitive church. Okay, so a move of God had happened, and, and, and home groups had filled up, and, and buildings had filled up, and, um, and you just had this critical mass that was God-inspired. You know, you, you didn't need to have a whole lot of um, evangelistic teaching. It, it, just something was happening. But then the 80s happened, and Peter Wagner and all those guys started teaching us about how we needed to be cool for Jesus to draw people. And then, I think in the 90s, there was also a really legitimate focus of how do you reach the next generation. And so, <clears throat> the focus began to be <clears throat> excuse me, different than anything we had ever faced before. It, was, it wasn't how do we walk like we've walked, because there's a realization of if we keep walking like that, we can't get where we're going. But how do we turn and open the doors for others to come in? The only thing about that is that it happened right in the middle of a world that was also opening up churches and making it fun, cool, warm, and beautiful to be a Christian. And, and right now, across the country, and this country, and really it's happening around the world, there are a lot of people who are really excited about showing up at a worship service. They like the sound of worship music. It's really pretty to them. They like the feeling of, if God is for us, okay, now I'm a part of this club, and I, he's for me. Who would not sign up for that? You can join these people, and the master of the whole universe will do what you want. And, and that's the gospel that's being put out there by a lot of groups. And I, and I say that all to say is that um, I think for us, it's, a, it's infected us just a bit. But I think for, for what's happening in our countries, and there's several countries represented here, a, a crown is being sought before a cross sometimes. And... Um, and I just want to read some verses. These are all things we know. But, but as we talked about this theme this year, I just thought it, it, it highlighted the bait and switch. When 
God's interrupting us, that's kind of the whole point. You know, like the, the fact that he's showing up and he's twisting things away from what we would choose towards his greater will, that's the exact thing we signed up for, you know. But there's a momentum in this generation that's kind of about Jesus as a, an accessory that's added to make the ride better. And then when weird things happen and things don't go according to my will, what went wrong? You know, it's like, I've given my life to Jesus. It's supposed to be great now. The car's supposed to move faster. It's supposed to be a greater life. I'm going to have a great family. My children will behave perfectly. My business will do well. And then things don't go well, and there's a sense of what's going on. But, but the truth is, is that that's not the gospel. That, that's not what any of us showed up for. That's actually closer to Hinduism, a pursuit of nirvana. And so the question is, can we come back to what it's all about? And is that, are we willing to go out and call people to that? Rather than calling people to the coolest home group in the world, can we instead call them to come and die? Because it's, it's so worth it. There's power in it. On the other side of crucifixion is resurrection. So maybe we could just read a few verses. Uh, would you guys go with me to Luke 9? Thanks, Nathaniel. Luke 9, uh, verse 21 through 27. Luke 9, verse 21 through 27. Jesus strictly warned them not to tell this to anyone. And he said, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law. And he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Then he said to them all, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross daily, and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit their very soul? Whoever is ashamed of me and my words, um, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his glory and in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. Truly I tell you, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the kingdom of God. And before we talk about that, do you guys mind going with me over to the Gospel of John? In chapter 12, <clears throat> and verses 23 through 29. So John 12, 23 through 29. Jesus replied, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Very truly I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. <clears throat> Anyone who loves their life will lose it while anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am my servant also will be. My Father will honor the one who serves me. Now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. No, it's for this very reason I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. And a voice came from heaven, I have glorified it and will glorify it again. The crowd that was there and heard it said, it, uh, and heard it said, uh, the crowd that was there and heard it said, yeah, I'm sorry. That's great. We'll stop there. Here's, here's an interesting quote by C.S. Lewis that I think is kind of a good one. He says, uh, this is right after his wife died. He said, what do people mean when they say, I am not afraid of God because I know he's good? And then he said, have they never been to the dentist? <laughs> it's, just, it's just true. <laughs> Remember what the whole story is, is Jesus basically says to us, um, this life that you have that's infected with self-referential selfishness and that's going the wrong direction, come to me and give the whole thing up. 
everything. Be baptized with me into death. And then what will come out is a life in me. So what happens is you who were dead spiritually, were heading the wrong direction, some part of his word penetrated your heart and the incorruptible seed hit you and you were born again and you came to life. And, and what he calls us to is to lay down everything and then the greatness of it above all things is that he leads us into fellowship with Father by the power of the Holy Spirit. And I don't know about for you, but that's the, whole, that's the, that's the, the thrilling part of the story to know him, to interact with him, to hear him speak, to get to be close to Father, it's wonderful. It's just absolutely wonderful. It's one of the missing pieces for the next generation is they've had really good feelings in worship services. They've had really great moments. They've been a part of a good church. They love community. But the interaction level with Father is lower than it could be. And that's, that's the thing that he's made a way for, a new and living way. We get to come boldly and to know him. And he's speaking to you. And you're, you're with him. And you're practicing his presence and walking into life. And, and he's saying things, the same voice that created the world is recreating you day to day. He says something in the morning, it changes everything. Charles Finney said that those who have been filled with the Holy Spirit will be considered eccentric. Because you're in a situation where everybody's getting a certain level of stimuli. But you have a whole other voice coming into you. It's totally different. And that's the glory of the gospel. Is by entering into his death you get to enter into his life. And then what happens, he starts to disciple us into changing and crucifying every part of us. Jamie, let's talk today about your finances. You've been doing it this way, but this is the way of the kingdom. This is who I am. Ah, oh, that hurts. I really wanted to buy that print CD. Sorry. I mean, I thought I was doing better. It wasn't Madonna, but um, I'm just, that's about what year it was when this happened uh, first. Um, so, so then what happens is, is it, you deny yourself, you start to learn to walk in his ways, and resurrection power hits it. Your finances are changing, your life's changing. Hey, Jamie, this is the way you would treat Kathy, and this is the way that I'm going to lead you to treat Kathy. But she said something mean. <laughs> I mean and, and the things he says are crazy. I mean, he's talking on a whole different level. The Lord is saying to be nice to Kathy. That was not my first intention a lot of times. Um, but, but that's this life in him. It's this life of walking with him and listening to him and knowing him and his voice is hitting you and changing you. And every single day is an interruption. Every time he speaks, it changes everything, right? So that's what we signed up for. But you know what happens is as you start to listen to that voice, your, your life begins to transcend this life. I, I said to those young people that day, who would you make the poster children of Christianity? Like, if you were creating a, a bottle of Christianity and you're going to sell it, you know, you put um, Michael Jordan on the outside of the Wheaties package, but who would you put? And so we said, who most typifies Christianity? And we decided it was Paul and Jesus. And I said, well, let's think about their lives. Did you guys see the passion? And they were like, yes. And then I said, well, what about Paul? I'm pressed but not crushed, persecuted, not abandoned. Who would buy that product? Like, why would you buy that a life of suffering, a life of laying your life down. And then all of a sudden a voice came out and said, because their lives transcended suffering. They were called into something eternal, something deeper, something better. You didn't get together every week in each other's houses just because you liked each other. Ugh. <laughs> it's because you were following him together and you were growing more and something was happening and it, 
it transcended culture. It transcended pain, right? And that's the thing that I think in the midst of being, trying to be attractive is we end up handing something that has very low cost of admission and you get what you pay for sometimes, you know? Um, let's keep going. Just a few verses and then it's, it's time for the bad cop. No, just kidding. Ephesians <laughs> <laughs> 2. Ephesians 2, and this is right at the beginning of the chapter. As for you, and he's talking about you guys, me too, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love, for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. You know why we don't have to seek a crown? We got it. We're there. We're with them. The best news in the world's happened. We're not here to go around looking for the perfect situation or the perfect politician to lead us or the perfect political climate or the best Christian radio station. We hit the lottery. We hit the jackpot. We are in, and we know him, and we're a part of him. And we've been saved from the fire. He's running. He's pulled us out. And the rest of those people, they're dying. And so if we're out here trying to figure out how to make it better for ourselves, they're going to die. Like this, the whole idea of this was not, all right, you get to get out of the fire. Okay, what are you going to give us next? No, what he gave us is so good, and what we've received is so incomparably good that now the rest of our lives are about learning to go together into saving a dying world with him. It's just, there's no crown to seek that's better than what we already have. It doesn't get better than knowing Father. And, and that's the great part. So when we sit here and arm wrestle the world to try to get them to get out of our way, we might have lost the point. We might have lost the point. Get out of our way. Um, so our story is that we're the community of the forgiven. And, and here's just what I would say. Our work now is to believe in him, obey his words to us, and follow him into saving a dying world just as he saved us. We were saved from faithfulness and being spiritually dead to grow spiritually into lives of faith, no longer to live the way the world lives. So this is going to include us living with a faith that risks. Think about Abraham with Isaac. Think about Paul walking on the water. Think about Jesus trusting his ministry to those 12 guys. This is going to have to be a faith that loses. Think about Jesus losing his life. Think about Paul declaring all things lost. It's going to have to be a faith that suffers. Think again about Jesus in the Via Dolorosa. Think about Paul stoned, snake-bitten, and imprisoned. And this is going to have to be a faith that loves with a covenant love. I've always thought about you guys. You're the neatest people in the world, and I wish I could introduce all of my friends who are dying to you. If they could have friendship with you, I don't know how they could turn away. That was always, ever since I've gotten here 20 years ago, I've just always thought, if all these people who are just eating each other, cannibalizing each other, could know you, wouldn't it be great? 
Some of, um, so I just want to read two quotes and then finish up. Uh, this is Watchmanee. To sum it up then, all who do not live the cross as Paul did can hardly explain, expect to obtain the result that Paul had. All who do not live the cross as Paul did can hardly explain to expect to, ex to obtain the result that Paul had. If we ourselves are not crucified, men and women will not be able to impart life. And then this is Bonhoeffer, and he's quoting Luther. <laughs> this is a fun quote. Jesus Christ lived in the midst of his enemies. At the end, all his disciples deserted him. On the cross, he was utterly alone, surrounded by evildoers and mockers. For this cause, he had come, to bring peace to the enemies of God. Let's read that again. For this cause, he had come, to bring peace to the enemies of God. So the Christian, too, belongs not in the seclusion of a cloistered life, but in the thick of foes. There is his commission, his work. The kingdom is to be in the midst of your enemies, and he who will not suffer this does not want to be of the kingdom of Christ. He wants to be among friends, to sit among roses and lilies, not with the bad people, but the devout people. And this is Luther. Oh, you blasphemers and betrayers of Christ, if Christ had done what you were doing, who would have ever been spared? We're going to be attacked. Uh, there's a world of people who don't know him. It's kind of their job to act silly because they don't know him. Like, they're mean. They're going to make political decisions that are ridiculous. Our countries in this moment are being destroyed because nobody knows how to make a decision where you defer immediate reward or, or compensation. There isn't a deeper transcendent value system in any of our countries, and we won't be able to change it unless we reach a generation of leaders who can be equipped to know him and, and make that difference. But they won't be able to come in with a sword. They'll have to come in and be able to love and serve and, like yeast and dough, get involved in culture and make a difference. We, by engaging culture wars, we, by making fun and, and, and writing books about the world as if they're the Antichrist, which they may indeed be, we, we're probably losing the point. Yes, they're dying. Yes, we're going to suffer. Yes, it's going to hurt. Yes, if we do it well, some of us will be crucified. That's why we're here. <laughs> this is a more fun meeting if we get to um, tally up who got crucified this week. No, but I mean, it is a more fun meeting if, if, if we're making such a difference that, that the enemy is having to do something with us to get us out of the way. Um, we knew that we'd reached success in Costa Rica when the drug dealers wanted to kill us. That's a good sign. That's, a, that's one way to know that you've accomplished something. Um, one day, I, I had lost Kathy. Some of you know that. I lost Kathy. Um, she was in my other pants. No, just kidding. That's not like you. No, uh, we went through a rough time. Um, some of you know me, and you can expect why that would happen. Um, so I was walking on a basketball court uh, with Jim Newsom, who had led me to Jesus, and he was trying to cheer me up. And we're walking off the basketball court, and God spoke to me, and he said, how do you feel right now? And I said, I feel rejected. I feel despised. I feel um, hated. I feel worthless. I mean, I, not, not worthless, but I, I went through this list that was that. And he said, well, good. He said, now we have something in common. That's what I felt too. He said, if we're really going to know each other, you're going to go through the same things that I went through. So that's kind of our lot. When you think of the example of men like Mike Cook and Frank Dawson and Dal Robinson, many of us would not be here if they hadn't suffered a few fools. You know? We probably said some, I know that I said some ridiculous things to Dal. <laughs> and, and Dal could have just stood up and said, 
<laughs> you know. But he smiled and he said, yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and then he'd draw you to scripture. They loved us. They suffered. And, and, and we got to walk into something deeper because of it. Um, this is the end. The end is this. If we really believe what Ernst said a few years ago, that we've read the back of the book and we win, what if we act like it? You know, acting like it isn't to say, all right, we win. All right, I'm ready for the coronation. <laughs> you worldly people, you probably feel pretty stupid about now. <laughs> you should have let me by in traffic this morning. Serve me. <laughs> That's what I mean. It, it, our attitude corporately isn't in line with what we've all lived individually. We deny ourselves. We, he's given so much. How do we not give up everything to follow him? The reason isn't because they need to be loved so much. It's just that's where he's going. He's headed back out to the woman in Samaria. And if you want to be with him, you better get going. All right. We can sit here in Jerusalem, but sooner or later... God has a way of getting us out of Jerusalem, doesn't he? Amen.